choose any of the variables in, in, in a street fight, they choose us. So we have to be ready for anything. More than one attacker, from unfavorable angles perhaps, in austere environments, like on pavement, okay? So let's say we detect a threat behind us. First of all, we want to look and assume that we want positive target acquisition. Look, bring the elbow up in the same way. And then we get into fight stance. Once we throw a few, boom, we're never passive after that. We throw one and come back to passive. That's a stupid way to train one. Well, the fight's probably not over yet. That's right. So if we go, boom, chances are he's probably still got some starch in him left and we're gonna need to demotivate him further. Yeah? So it's exactly the same plane of motion, except we're going the other way. We bring it up, make the elbow, okay? Bicep curl, looking, and rotating. Boom! And recoiling, recoiling back to flight stance, and then he's turning in. But make it as quickly as you can. Don't ever leave it out sitting in space. You want to return to that defensive posture ASAP. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, so in the mirror, guys. Welcome back to the Johnny Tiger Experience Podcast. The best podcast in the world. <laughs> Episode 41. Today's quote. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. I am Johnny Tiger, and this is my reality.
Have you ever had incidences where a friend, maybe a stranger, casually make a remark, and that remark end up making you feel good for the rest of the day, or maybe for the rest of the week? There's an old Chinese proverb that goes something like, "A kind word can keep you warm in the deepest." Darkest winter, while a discouraging word will make you cold to the bone in the hot summer sun, and that is so true. I think sometimes we are too sparing with encouragement and compliment that sometimes we forget that people around us, those people we care, need to hear how awesome they are. So, in the spirit of Valentine's Day, which has passed recently,、uh, let's all make an effort to tell that special someone how awesome they are. And if you really enjoy the podcast, don't hesitate to write in and let me know what you think of the podcast. <laughs> well, that little bit of、um, preamble. Is actually related to this week's diary entry, which will have me talking about a few instances where my friends made me feel really, really good. So, let's have a listen, shall we? Previously on Johnny Tiger. I remember. About ten years ago, when the Canadian Idol contest was still going on,、uh, I made it to the semi-final and then got voted out. And I was a bit distraught. Usually, I'm not bothered by losing; it's all part of the game. But you know,、um, I was a bit disappointed because it, it just seemed victory was. At hand, and you know, just、uh, all taken away because of the whole voting and all that stuff. And of course, there were people in the finals that I didn't think deserved to be there because they didn't sound very good. Anyway,、uh, I was hanging out with a friend, and this is this was a friend whom I've known for many years, but we never. Uh, hang out that much, so I didn't consider him to be all that close as a friend. Just someone we casually would, you know, sometimes go out for dinner, sometimes go out for a drink, maybe once every three months, kind of thing. Talk on the phone once in a while. And when he saw that I was a little bit disappointed with、uh, losing the competition, he. Said something that just touched me so much that I, it almost made me cry,、uh, and it, it take a lot to make me cry. I'm not the, I'm not a very sentimental type.、Um, he said, he said, Johnny, I don't know why you're so concerned with the nonsense like Canadian Idol, because to most of us, you are already a superstar. And no matter 
what kind of competition you win, or what kind of what kind of award you get or don't get, you'll always be our superstar. And that just that was so nice. That was so heartwarming and it stunned me, and it just got me totally totally out of my、uh, downward spiral. And what's up? Help me to、uh, get back. Into、uh, performing and singing, and just kept going forward without、uh, being in a rut for a while. So I would say that got to be the best thing that I've heard from a friend. And there's a couple of other little remarks that just you know make me feel awesome for a long time. That's what、uh, one of them. I was traveling in China. And me and my friends,、uh, we went to the、uh, spend a day at the hot spring. And you know, we all had to get changed into、uh, bathing suits and all that nonsense to go into the hot spring. So I was wa-、uh, coming out of the changing room, and my friend came to me and he said, "Man, you look ridiculous." And I was like, "Oh." What do you mean? I look ridiculous. He said, "Man, you're so muscular. When like everyone's looking at you, you, this is the kind of body that you only see in movies, not in real life." <laughs> that, that definitely stroked my ego right there. Ah, <laughs>、uh, and one more incident where this、uh, something like that really made me feel good. That's a a friend. A fellow martial art instructor,、uh, we were a bunch of us were talking at the、uh, martial art studio after training, and、uh, and and this big guy, he, he's a, like a jujitsu instructor、uh, and taekwondo, I believe. And someone asked him, someone asked him, he said,、uh, "Says, which do you think you can take Johnny in a fight?" Like if if you if you guys get pissy with each other on the street, do you think you take Johnny in a fight? And the guy said, "No,、nah, if I want to fight Johnny, I I prefer to do it with a sniper rifle. I want to shoot him from a thousand yards off because getting close up with Johnny is is ridiculous." <laughs> and there again, that just that became one of those、uh, things that just really stroked my ego and reputation at the martial arts studio. <laughs> You are listening to the Johnny Tiger Experience podcast, the most chaotic and fun-filled podcast around. Hi, I am Allison, and I am here to tell you of a great way to help out your favorite podcast. Hmm, which podcast is that? Of course, this one. <laughs> Even though robot beauties like myself don't eat much, we still like to feel appreciated. Show your support by making a small monthly contribution. Go to www.patreon.com/johnnytigerexperience. Again, please visit www.patreon.com/johnnytigerexperience. Hello, this is Cam. Welcome to Guitar One Hundred and One.
Alright guys, it's time for our third lesson and today we're going to learn our first chord. Now, the reason I'm doing it like this, we could talk more about what chords are and I will do everything like that um, if you guys are interested. Uh, so let me know about that. If you want some information on what chords are and a bit of theory then I'm happy to do that. But what I want to do is get us to play something that sounds like music on the guitar because honestly it's all well and good learning all the basics and things but it doesn't feel real until you've made something that sounds good on the guitar so I hope you'll agree with that. Um, we could talk about strumming and we'll do that in another lesson but for now I'll just give you uh, some quick tips when you strum this chord you can either use one finger and just hit all six strings, just sort of flick your finger down them. You can bunch your fingers together and use all of them, or just the middle three. You know, whatever feels comfortable for now, just write down the strings. If you're using a, using a pick, then just grab it between your thumb and your forefinger and just flick it down the strings like you've got a load of honey on your finger and a feather is attached to it and you're trying to flick it off. Okay, so <clears throat> that'll do for strumming for now. We'll go more into that in detail, but yeah. There's nothing, there's no better feeling than when you make a musical sound for the first time out of an instrument. It's like when you first kiss a girl and she goes running, crying to her friends. Wait, that didn't happen. Okay, so, first chord. This chord is an E minor, and it sounds like this. Okay, so just to quickly say, if it's a minor chord, it's sad. If it's a major chord, it's happy. Major chord. Everything is good in my world. Minor chord. I'm very sad today. Okay, so this is a minor chord. Easiest chord to play on the guitar. Now what you need, is on your left hand, so you have your thumb just kind of hanging on the top of the neck. Make sure it's not touching the thickest string, so bring it back a little bit and just kind of imagine it as a bit of a hinge that you can hang your, the rest of your hand off. Then make sure that your fingertips are turned round so they're over the neck, and then your first finger needs to go onto the second fret, so remember just behind the second fret, count them up, one, two, and then go back a bit. Second fret of second string. So the note you should hear is this. So you could just try pressing that finger down and hitting the second thickest string, which as we all know is the fifth string. Then all you need, right underneath it, on the D string or the fourth string, that's where your middle finger goes. So you end up with this note. And then if you play them all together, so some things to be aware of, you want your fingertips to press down. Um, you want to make sure that it's just your fingertips because what can happen is you can start deadening other strings um, if your finger is too flat so you want to make sure it's just the 
fingertips pressing down and one right underneath the other so that is the noise you should be getting sometimes you'll hear you know sometimes you'll hear some things like that but just adjust your hand position just find out what's comfortable um, sometimes you can press down too hard and that's going to hurt your fingers so just try and find out what's comfortable for you it's kind of you know it's some pressure but you don't have to press down as hard as you think um, if you really are having to struggle and press down too hard then let me know because there may be something we can do about the action of your guitar or something like that so that is your first chord and then you can be really sad with all your friends oh I know my first chord should be really happy but it's a minor chord so I'm sad but we don't want to be sad so here's a major chord just to cheer everyone up Okay, good. So we'll learn that soon. But hopefully that's helpful. If anyone has any problems, get hold of me. That's a lesson about the minor chord. Have a good day. another episode of cooking 101 and today rather than a live demonstration I'm just going to tell you guys uh, about the amazing roast duck I cooked this last weekend um, and it was a very simple recipe that I think uh, worthwhile sharing now most of us well at least for me quite often when I'm looking at the recipe to roast something duck chicken whatever my biggest gripe the one thing i hate the most is when you have to flip the damn thing 
uh, they, a lot of recipes you'll see that say cook for 30 minutes and then turn it breast side down, roast for another 30 minutes and turn it breast side up again. And I mean, when you have to deal with a hot, really hot roasting pan and a lot of grease and maybe stuffings that try to leak out as soon as you move the bird, and uh, uh, especially in, if you are totally blind, you have to do it by touch, which it just adds to the whole aggravation, trying to flip that thing without making a mess or without hurting yourself. Um, so. After a bit of research, I found a recipe for roasting duck that did not uh, require you to turn it, which was exactly the kind of thing I was looking for. So in this recipe, I was using a duck that was six and a quarter pound, really big bird. Uh, when you're roasting duck, generally speaking, for every uh, pound gets 22 minutes at uh, around 350 F in the oven every 20 uh, and 22 minutes for every extra pound so you have to adjust that according to the bird you buy a uh, little extra here I actually didn't know how exactly uh, much the uh, bird weigh so I turned on my Be My Eye app and connected to a volunteer and all I had to do was aim the camera at the tag on the duck and that got that all sorted out nice and simple. So Be My Eye, uh, definitely a worthwhile uh, app to get on your phone if you haven't used it. And it's totally free, so pretty awesome. Just make sure you're dressed when you're using it. <laughs> So, preheat oven to 350F, take the duck out of the package, and rinse the duck under cold water inside and out to uh, clean it a bit. Pat it dry with a, uh, with a paper towel and set it on a cutting block. We're not going to cut it, but uh, you need a nice uh, working surface to operate on, otherwise you will make a mess. Mix together salt and pepper. Uh, I used red chili flakes and paprika. Uh, mix them together and season the duck inside and out generously with them. Make sure you rub them uh, all over the duck. Take a sharp fork and prick the duck's skin to let the fat out uh, during roasting. Now make sure you don't stab the meat. Make sure you, when you stab the duck, don't stab straight down, but uh, stab at kind of uh, angle the fork so it enters the skin from the side. Uh, so it will only break the skin rather than going into the muscle beneath. If you uh, poke too many holes in the muscles, it will get really dry. So prick the sides, the chest, the back of the duck. And now take two small apples. Uh, Granny Smith work, work really well. Uh, as long as the apple is nice and tart, 
that's fine. Cut them into quarters, stuff them into the duck. Uh, cut up one small onion into quarters, stuff that in. Take one head of garlic, trim away the outside paper and cut the top of the head of garlic and put the whole head of garlic inside the duck. At this point, you can add one large piece of ginger as well, if you fancy that. Set the duck on a roasting pan and put uh, on a roasting rack and put the rack into the pan. And now uh, put water at the bottom of the pan. You need about a quarter inch of water. Make sure your rack is high enough so your duck is not sitting in the water. This water will prevent fat from uh, burning at the on the bottom of your roasting pan and also it will help steam your duck so it cooks more evenly. Put a lid on the roasting pan and now put the whole thing inside the oven. You will cook this for, well for my duck, uh, my uh, six and a quarter pound duck, I cooked for 50 minute and then took off the lid uh, and turned the heat up to 420 degree F and cook for another 30 minute uncovered. After that, turn your heat all the way up to 500 and let it crisp for 15 minutes and then take the duck out of the oven. Let it sit on the cutting board for 10 to 15 minutes before carving into it and you will hopefully have the most amazing roast duck uh, that you ever cooked like I did. As usual, happy cooking, happy meal and be safe. The following commercial contains some strong language and suggestions of a sexual nature. If you are under the legal age or are easily offended, please skip forward two minutes. Now, right now, still here? Okay then, here we go. And now, a word from our sponsor. Welcome to the rail. Are you looking for love? Oh yeah, we've got love. What is it that you like about my tits? You have construction tits. I sure do enjoy snacking on the pink velvet meat curtains. He masturbated in my inbox. Oh my lord. Are you looking for peace and tranquility? We got plenty of that too. You are nobody to me. I don't know you, but if I know anything about Mexican men, is that they are only out for one thing. So listen, Fleabag, leave me alone and stop messaging me or I'm going to mute you. I think you're full of shit, to be honest. I don't like how you talk about women. I was raised by a woman. I got a daughter and all that nigga. Fuck you, nigga. Fuck all that, you heard me? You bitch. I hope you know that it's only gonna get worse for you. What you did to me was not good and you will pay for it. Or are you looking to extend the hand of friendship? You all either fucking get along with me on here or mute me, or guess what? I will just fucking disappear and never fucking come on here ever again. Don't mind me, I'm using the restroom. I apologize. I normally don't do this on a question, but I wanted to get my feelings out. I'm obese. Would you sit next to me on a plane? Get on my thread, follow the rules. Smack that ass thread. All chatter, no text.
So, if you're just looking to bone your way through a bunch of visually impaired bitches and hoes, or just wish to cast judgement on somebody for having a speech impediment, why not get Varail today? Varail is available from the Apple and Android app stores, no purchase necessary. I grew up in a high-pressure family. That is to say, my family was like a pressure cooker. Everything has to be done well. Everyone has to succeed. You had to work hard, work hard, and work harder. Nothing was ever good enough. Growing up, I always felt kind of wistful because when I watched my friends, other children, when their parents said goodbye to them, uh, maybe them leaving town, going on a long trip, etc., etc., their parents would say, have a good time, or we'll miss you, or take good care of yourself. When I was growing up, whenever it came time to bid farewell to my parents, my father would say, work hard, do us proud. Uh, my mother would say, Make sure to work hard and don't spend too much time playing. That was when I was a child and a teenager. As I grew into adulthood, becoming more my own person, starting to go to college, university, working, I started to move away from my family. But even then, every time I talk to my parents on the phone, when it's time to say goodbye, my father would say, remember, work hard, do us proud, don't waste time doing useless things. My mother would say, make sure that now it's a time to work really hard. For years and years, it's the same message. Work hard, work hard, work harder. Now, I'm approaching 40 at breakneck speed. My father, when he bid me farewell, still says, you have to work hard, you don't have much time left. You have to make something of yourself. When my mother bid farewell to me, she said, son, don't work too hard. You don't have a lot of time left to enjoy life, so just be happy. We are proud of you. I wonder which one of us has gotten old.
Welcome back to another episode of Night Strike 101. I've been away for a couple of days, but now I'm back. Night Strike is a series that talk about self-defense and martial art, where I show you little tips and tricks, a lot of basic stuff. Hopefully you'll never have to use any of them, but if you ever get yourself in a tight spot, hopefully they'll see you safely home. Today we want to explore the simple mechanic of a proper knee strike. Just like the elbow strike series, this will probably go on for a few episodes, but let's look at the first thing about a knee strike. Obviously, you want to hit someone with your knee. And what's the most instinctual and most logical angle is to hit from down to up not forward not back and forward like some people will uh, think it's, uh, it, it, it's about but it's the downward to up motion just like stepping up on a very high step bring your knee up as fast as hard as you can but that is not all If you just rely on the movement of your leg to do a proper knee strike, you will fail probably 70 out of 100 times, even if you were professionally trained. Why? Because the knee has a very short range, even shorter than elbow. Because elbow, for elbow strike, I can extend my upper body forward. With a knee strike, yes, I can try to lean back and bring my hip forward, but that only gives me maybe two extra inches of reach. So, rather than depending on that to do damage, you know what they say, when, uh, when the uh, Muhammad wouldn't come to the mountain, the mountain come to Muhammad. So, in this case, rather than relying on your knee to do the work bring your target to your knee if i grab a person's body i'm going to pull him forward as I, my knee is coming up so there is a pull forward with the knee rising to meet him if i get a hold of someone's head and i want to bring him if i want to knee him in the face I'm not going to try to jump for it, that would be silly. I'm going to grab his head and bring him forward and while he's being pulled forward, my knee is here to meet him. And if one knee strike is not enough to uh, bring him down, then I'm just going to keep hold of him and keep doing that. Knee, knee, knee. With every knee strike, when my foot comes down, my foot doesn't just come down back to the ground. With every knee strike, I'm twisting my hip. So after I hit with my knee, I'm going to pretend I'm going to take a step back with that same foot. So rather than coming back down to the ground beside my standing foot, I'm going to reach way behind with this foot 
because this will give me the leverage to deliver an even harder knee strike next time. So I knee, extend my foot back, and then knee again. The second one always harder than the first one. There's also a roundhouse way to throw the knee, just like a roundhouse kick. So rather than bring my knee up straight, I'm going to bring my knee up to the side. So I bring my knee, right knee, I bring my right leg up to the side, like I'm taking a kick to the side. And I bend my knee and I use the twist of my body. Again, I want to grab a hold of my opponent so they are holding to the knee strike. So I pull them toward the direction of the knee. In this case, I pull them to my right and my right knee is coming around to the body. So, a scenario where I would use this is if I'm sideways to my opponent, if they're coming at me from the side, rather than just turning to face them, I reach over, let's say my opponent's coming from my left, I reach over, put my hand over his neck or on his left shoulder, on his shoulder, and as I turn, my knee is cutting across the space between us. But as I turn, I pull them, use, almost as if I want to use them to balance myself. I put my hand on their shoulder, on their neck, I turn, knee is right there into the stomach. Next episode, we're going to talk about proper body control when you do your knee strike. But for now, be safe out there. I will see you guys later. And now for more badassery. Only here on the Johnny Tiger Experience Podcast. The best podcast in the world. Blades 101, where plastic bottles meet their doom. Hey everyone, welcome back to Blades 101, where we talk about fun things like knives, swords, anything sharp and pointy and self-defense related, work related, uh, a general uh, thread where I give informationals and tips on maintaining, using, and just generally blade related stuff. Today we're going to talk about a new trend in the knife world lately. Those of you who have been involved in the self-defense circle or the knife collector circle, the uh, everyday carry crowd, uh, you would have probably have been noticed that there is a new uh, trend on these Filipino 
knives called Karambit. So I thought I'd do a special thread on because some people might not have ever owned one and some people might not have any idea what exactly are the benefits or perks of Karambit and why is it becoming a trend. In short, Karambit are best described as ringed claw knife. Karambit are designed originally in the Philippines as a sort of a farming tool slash hunting tool. It is a wickedly curved knife that curved forward rather than backward. Uh, so the knife is shaped like the claw of a tiger. This knife's inception was so that people, farmers, hunters, if they need to do any digging or self-defense or chopping or slashing in the field, they can essentially have a steel claw that's attached to their hand. Another feature of the Karambit knife is that there is a ring attached to the tail end of the grip. So when one uses a Karambit knife, you would not hold it in a saber grip like a regular knife. Most people will hold the Karambit in a commando or ice pick grip, meaning the knife is held uh, pointing out uh, from towards your pinky finger rather than coming out uh, from where your thumb and forefinger is. When held in this uh, format, the karambit, because there's a ring on the tail end of the knife, you will stick your forefinger through this ring, effectively keeping the knife in your hand even if you let go completely. Right now I have my karambit in my hand and it's just dangling on my ring finger, uh, on my forefinger, my index finger. I can still use this hand to um, pick up a cup of coffee. I can still use this same hand, the knife is still there. I can use this hand to throw something. I can use this hand, I can even use this hand to give someone the finger. <laughs> I can give this, use this hand to give the peace sign. Um, I can use this hand to punch. Uh, I, I, can, I can hit someone with my fist rather than cutting them with a knife. And uh, the side benefit of a karambit is that ring attached to the knife acts as kind of a brass knuckle. So when I hit someone, when I have a karambit in my hand, even when I don't cut them with a knife, my, the ring, the, the thick steel ring is around my forefinger. So that point of impact is actually um, strong enough. If you are a good striker, you can actually bust through wood easily uh, because it, it essentially armors part of your knuckle. Um, I have a video on my YouTube channel of me doing just that. I, bro I broke through a piece of uh, wooden board, not your regular you know, wood, wood breaking, board breaking type either, just a, reg a regular piece of timber 
from the side of my house. I punched through that wearing a karambit or holding onto a karambit. So that is definitely a benefit about this type of knife, which is why it is so uh, chased after in the self-defense circle. Another benefit of a karambit knife is it makes it extremely hard to disarm. A person can usually, when you hold a knife, if someone kick your wrist or if someone hit your wrist hard enough, your hand open up, the knife falls. If I have the karambit in my hand and my finger through the ring, you can hit me, you can break my wrist, the knife will still be in my hand. Now, like I can, there's almost no way for you to get it away from me unless you break my finger. Uh, which gives a definite edge in a self-defense situation because you wouldn't want someone to get a hold of your knife in a self-defense situation. There are, of course, fixed blade karambit and like the one I'm using, a folding karambit made by Fox Knife. It's a $300 knife. Uh, the advantage of this is it looks like a regular pocket knife with a ring attached to the uh, handle. And when I pull this out, it, it has the Emerson CQC wave feature cut into the blade. So I can, even though it is a manually opened knife, when I pull it out of my pocket, it's already deployed. It's already ready to use uh, because the wave feature catches on the fabric of my pants. So when I pull the knife out, it's instantly ready. Another benefit of a karambit, of course, is even if you don't deploy the knife, you just hold it and use it as a brass knuckle in a fight. It's extremely effective. With the knife uh, in its retracted or folded format, I am still able to hold it in my hand with my finger through the ring and I can punch and have that added armature to my knuckle or I can deliver a hammer fist and the body, the frame of the knife will act as an impact point and uh, a, a sort of a skull breaker. In actual combat, the karambit is extremely deadly because of its wicked curve. Its uh, curved slicing edge means if I slash this into someone, it's going to drag the wound all the way open. It's basically, if you ever seen what has happened when you get clawed by a cat uh, or any large animal that was clawed, the it's not just an entry point like a stab wound. When you get clawed, that wound is going to tear and rip and splay open. And this is what happens when you slash with a karambit. That is going to totally open up the person. It, it, it's, uh, it works very similar to a, a human can opener. If you can put it crudely, it, it's pretty much like that. Um, so this is the advantage of a karambit and why it is the newest trend in the knife industry. 
It is a wickedly designed self-defense weapon, but I must warn you guys that it is mostly illegal to carry unless you're like me who work in the self-defense industry and I have a valid reason for carrying one because it's a training tool. Uh, otherwise, you will have a hard time explaining to a cop why you are carrying a deadly combat-oriented knife on your person, because this is definitely not a work knife. Which brings me uh, to the next point: uh, Karambit. They do. They don't make very good everyday carry knife because because of the clock configuration, they don't slice very well. If you want to open boxes. Um, I mean, it it would still work, but it make a mess of whatever it's open. It doesn't, it doesn't have that straight, clean cut to it because it's designed to be a messy uh, killing weapon. It's not meant to have a uh, straight and clean cut. And uh, there are functions that better served by regular knife than a karambit. So I wouldn't recommend it as an everyday carry knife, everyday carry work knife. But I would definitely recommend it as a self-defense tool.、Um, there is a different kind of ring knife that has a straight edge, unlike the claw-shaped karambit. Those knives are called dart knife, and they basically work exactly like karambit, except they are straight rather than curved. So that is our Blade 101 information of the day. As usual, when you're handling knives or sharp instrument. Be responsible. Be safe. Remember, knives don't kill people. It always kills people that kill people. Fitness 101, where we work hard and play harder. Welcome back to another episode of Fitness 101. Although I don't feel particularly fit today,、oh, this hangover headache, hangover headache, no more hangover headache.、Oh, okay, focus. <clears throat> so back to our、uh, regularly scheduled push-up theory.、Uh, today we are looking at the gold standard of army training and marine training. Which is the hand clap push-ups. This is very hard、uh, for many people to do.、Um, so take it slowly in the beginning.、Uh, don't feel bad if you find it too difficult because it is not easy.、Um, this particular push-up will build your explosive power and really. Uh, uh, Build up your speed and reaction as well.、Um, it is often used in training UFC fighters, MMA fighters,、uh, for that explosive punching power that、uh, you'll need in the fight. So let's get to it. Hand clap push-up, the dreaded hand clap push-up. Let's get down to the、uh, regular push-up position. You will bring your chest to the ground like in regular push-up. Now, rather than coming 
back up to straight arm, you are going to explode upward. Uh, so your hands will leave the floor and you have to clap your hands before you land back on the floor. So like this. So that's one clap for, ev for the every push-up. The trick for this is of course to explode off the ground hard enough for your upper body uh, hands included to leave the ground and clap your hands before you land. For beginners, start on your belly first and then try this. So what I did there, I lay, I lay on my belly with my hands by my side ready for the push-up and I shove myself off the ground hard enough so only my toes are in contact with the ground and I clap my hand before landing back on my belly make sure you don't land on your face <laughs> that wouldn't be nice <laughs> like that Like I said, this is a kind of a gold standard push-up in the military. So, um, it, no, it's definitely not meant to be easy, but it will build the kind of speed and reaction that you need to be a fighter. Good luck with that. Have a good workout. Hi, my name is Kelly, and I'm here to tell you about one of the best self-defense programs I've come across. As a mother of two, I don't have a lot of spare time, so the me time I have needs to be quality and wisely spent. And after trying out various martial arts schools and self-defense programs, I settled on tactical personal protection training. This is the perfect program for women and men looking to seek self-defense training and get in shape at the same time. Within four sessions, I felt empowered and safe and also managed to drop five pounds. Here at Tactical Personal Protection Training, we train co-ed and tackle real life and death scenarios. The program is an ever-evolving Krav Maga-based fighting system with an intelligent mix of techniques from other martial arts such as Kali and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Karate chops, kicking men between the legs, all very cool of course. Actually disarming a gun-wielding psycho and knowing how to survive being attacked by five people at once, much, much better. Tactical personal protection. Start learning how to protect yourself and your loved ones today. For training info, visit us at tacticalpersonalprotection.com. That's tacticalpersonalprotection.com. Mention the Johnny Tiger Experience podcast to get your free session today. This is Captain Lo-Fi. Catch the wind with me now and set sail through a moment of my life on the ocean that is all of life. 
Outside this morning, the sun is slowly burning off a thick fog. I can hear the birds responding outside the window, glad to see the light coming through the murky morning darkness. And in my lap, a 16-year-old tuxedo cat says she's glad for the sunshine and its possibility of warmth as applied to her old creaky bones. I got Camille five years ago from a shelter. She was 11 years old and I thought seriously about not getting her, but she liked me. When I was being introduced to all these other younger cats, she kept getting up on my shoulder and telling me how trashy and unreliable they were, as opposed to herself, the paragon of perfection and feline reliability. I fell for her line of whatever it was, and brought her home to my duplex. Being a social cat, she would awaken in the middle of the night and cry because there were no other cats there. To remedy that situation, a couple of weeks later, I went back to that same shelter and brought home her old partner in crime, Dr. Jethro Sinkwater. They ran the show for a couple of years until Jethro's unfortunate death from cancer in 2016. And now Camille slowly but inevitably declines such that I fear she might not see another spring. But let's keep all fears at bay today while she sits in my lap looks out the window, and we listen to the grateful dead. There's nothing better in this world than a cat. Ask me anything. Find the keys to your heart. So I want to take this opportunity in answering questions from one of our listeners. So this question is from George, and it asks, What is a typical day in the life of Johnny Tiger? Good question. Now, it is debatable what is considered typical uh, in my very not-typical life. But let me attempt to answer this one. My day usually starts at around 6 or 7 in the morning, uh, depending on where I have to work, when I have to work. Being largely freelancing and self-employed, my work schedule can be very flexible, so I'm definitely not beyond sleeping in late if I can get away with it, but typically I can't. Typically my day starts around 6 or 7. So you will see me bouncing out of bed and doing a hundred push-ups and a hundred squats and a hundred burpees 
just to start my day right. No, 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 that's a lie. Okay, I wake up bleary-eyed like everyone else and tell my alarm clock to shut the fuck up. Maybe smack it really hard uh, once or twice. Now, if there's not a lot of urgency, I may stay in bed for an extra five minutes to cuddle with Tiger. Uh, and then I would stumble to the bathroom, take an extremely hot shower, and then go through the motion of grooming, brushing my teeth, doing all the things that a very vain person would do in front of the mirror, including telling myself how good-looking, how awesome I am at least three times, so I can start off the day right. And then, I would make myself a cup of tea while making a big breakfast. I eat really, really big breakfast because I usually don't stop for lunch once I get started. Once I had breakfast, I would make a pot of coffee. I switched to French press just recently and really loving that. While I'm having my coffee, I would typically sit down, sort out emails, check my Facebook, check my various forums and other groups, and work schedule, of course, and then I would rush out the door, take the bus to work. A work day usually ends for me at around 4 or 4.30, at which point I would come home, maybe grab a quick bite to eat, like an energy bar or something, before changing into my fighting outfit, grabbing my war bag, and hot foot over to the bus stop again. Take the bus over to the martial arts studio, where I would teach my evening class. Now, it takes over an, an hour to get there, so often I get to catch a quick catnap on the bus. I would then stay at the studio typically until maybe 9 or 9.30 in the evening, because quite often after teaching and training, I would stay behind and get some sparring time in with my sparring partners. Then I would get home, make dinner, eat dinner, and then sit down, have a cup of tea to unwind before going to bed. This time, uh, with a cup of tea before bedtime, is often when I would reflect on the day's activity and if I have to prepare some paperwork or schedule for the next day, that's when I do it. Or if there's nothing to do, I may do a little bit of quick uh, mindless gaming just to unwind. Now, on days when I don't have to work or don't have to work as much, then all you have to do is replace the work details with editing the podcast, recording music, practicing martial art, and 
developing on cyberassault.org. And that, my friend, is a typical day in the life of Johnny Tiger. Support Night Strike Self Defense for the Blind. Give the gift of confidence, freedom, independence, and health by going to www.gofundme.com forward slash Night Strike. That is www.gofundme.com forward slash N I G H D S T R I K E. gatekeeper and he is totally going to screw with you <laughs> welcome back to another action figure review now a lot of people ask me why I keep doing this action figure review when I don't really even know if uh, other people care about them and it is kind of a geeky uh, kind of hobby I guess but for me it has always been something of a lonely hobby with my martial art I have other people that I can share this hobby with, I can spar with, I can talk with, but uh, with my knife collecting, with my airsoft, there has always been others around me that I can talk with, but action figures has always been uh, a very lonely pastime uh, in my adulthood. When I was little, me and my younger brother, we could go for hours and hours just talking about action figures and come up with different stories and scenarios with them uh, or for them but as time passed by we each grew into adulthood and like Puff the Magic Dragon uh, a lot of that was forgotten so enough reminiscing today we're talking about Gatekeeper he is uh, a demonic figure out of uh, Spawn Series 8, which was released in 1997 by Todd McFarlane. Now, a lot of sighted people have complained about Spawn action figures and McFarlane's action figures looking really drab. Uh, and maybe that is true. Maybe they are not the most colorful action figures around. They are not as flamboyant as superhero action figures such as Spider-Man and uh, Batman and all those uh, action figures that have a lot of very catchy colors. In the Spawn universe, it's really dark and a lot of things is 
either brown and tan or gray and black. A lot of things black.、Um, but for me, as a blind collector, spawn action figures had always offered the most sensation. They were the most fascinating because, especially with Todd McFarlane, his characters were always chock full of asymmetrical details. They were different. He had these guys, such as the gatekeeper here. He is not well known.、Uh, in fact, I don't think he was even in the comic book.、Uh, and it's just a very generic, a、uh, very random character thrown in there, and you can do whatever you like with him. Basically, he is open to interpretation. Here is this really brutish-looking, badass, muscular, asymmetrical warrior from hell in spiked armor. Arm to the teeth, and that's it.、Um, there is a little bit of biographical info on the packaging, which basically states the gatekeeper is the servant of Malaboja, who is the big bad of the Spawn universe, the ruler of the demon world, basically. So, gatekeeper is his servant, and、uh, he guards the gate into、uh, the dark lands. And only lets in those who have、uh, Malaboja's summon, and those who seek to enter, who are uninvited guests, would get a taste of his wrath. And he looked like he is definitely prepared、uh, to be a one-man or one-demon army. So that is all we know about this guy. We don't know what kind of person, what kind of personality he got. If he's statistical,、uh, what's about him? We just look at him, and we can tell that this is one badass mucker. Okay, this is the one guy who's lost an eye and wearing a metal eye patch, and lost an arm, and weaponized that arm, and now、uh, turned that arm into some kind of spear gun.、Um, he has a huge scar. Down the right side of his chest, and he's got scars on top of his head. So this is a guy who's been through wars,、uh, uncounted wars, and still there guarding the gates of hell.、Uh, just on that alone, we know this guy's no pushover. <laughs> At least in my imagination, that I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe in Todd McFarlane's mind, this was a guy who.、Um, Was cowardly and sadistical and stuff like that. I don't know, but you know, this is my action figure. It is open to my interpretation. So I prefer to think of him as a badass worker, and and that is my prerogative. <laughs> the action figure of the gatekeeper. There's a、uh, several versions of them. The prototype is tan skin and with black armor, and the first version. Has green skin like a spawn, and has、uh, gray and silver armor. And there's a later version that has blue skin and wearing gold armor. That appears to be the best-looking、uh, version.、Uh, his face and head look a lot like a spawn's head.、Uh, I always say a gatekeeper look like a spawn reject. That turning into Captain Hook, and that that is a good description of him because 
his head is all messed up. It's got a kind of mangled, skinned look to it, uh, with veins and muscles showing through. Uh, he does have a nose, uh, unlike Spawn, uh, and he has a hood he can put on uh, that is kind of metal studded and leathery looking, and it's made of soft rubber in this uh, action trigger form. His left side of his body is very spiky. It got like spiked straps and armor bits and chainmail and all that stuff. A huge spiked shoulder pad on his left shoulder, uh, and gauntlet and spiked shin guard and all that work going on. While the right side is more demure, the right side is more bare. Uh, there's uh, a bit of bare chest on the right, and there's no shoulder pad. Uh, even his cape, he's uh, come with a tattered cloth cape that is attached to his left shoulder pad. Um, so he definitely got that really asymmetrical look going on with him, which I really like. As pre-mentioned, his right arm has been uh, lopped off in some previous battle and has now been converted into a spear gun. There's um, kind of an organic looking lump covered in metal pieces and straps uh, with a spring mechanism inside that fires a projectile strong enough that he can actually knock over another action figure uh, from a good distance away. On the side of that weaponized arm is a huge uh, back curving blade that you can just imagine what he's going to do with that in close quarter combat. On his right ankle, there is a holstered pistol. Unfortunately, it's not removable. Uh, looks like an old-fashioned, kind of like a flintlock, I guess. Um, which kind of lead to some interesting question about this figure I'll talk about in a uh, minute or two. He stands uh, six and a half inches tall, so he uh, blends in very well with your six, seven inches action figures. Uh, he can tower over Batman, and he can menace your uh, Ninja Turtles, and he can even stand in uh, with your Diablo or uh, World of Warcraft action figures. He just look really good. He's a very generic uh, yet very distinguished looking demonic figure that can fit in all kinds of settings. For weapons, he has a pre-mentioned uh, spear gun for right arm. He also comes with a huge curved scimitar-like sword, a smaller uh, sword that look a bit like a katana, and he has a wooden staff that has straps and spikes all down its length. The large curved sword can be housed on his hip, while the smaller sword uh, can be host, uh, sheathed on his back. Uh, the staff, he'll just have to hold it in his hand. Um, Unfortunately for this action trigger, he suffers a bit uh, from several uh, problems. One of which is my personal gripe against McFarlane action figures. Um, 
he uses McFarlane peg system. Uh, he didn't call it that, I just called it that. Because McFarlane was like the only uh, toy maker that really liked to use this. What is the McFarlane peg system? The weapons, they don't really fit in the action figure's hand. There's usually a peg coming out of the side of the weapons that go into a hole in the palm of the action figure. So without that peg, the weapon do not stay in the hand. Uh, even with the peg, quite often the pegs are either, either too small, too short, and they don't quite work that well. So a lot of these action figures have problems holding their weapons. They just, uh, you finally get them posed and a tiny bit of vibration, they drop the sword. It's very annoying. It's annoying now on uh, display and it was annoying back then when I used to play with my toys because uh, no matter how badass these guys look, they couldn't retain their weapons. As, as soon as there's an engagement, they drop their weapon. It was really annoying. So I hate the McFarlane peg system. Unfortunately, that's what's going on with this guy. He also suffers a bit from quality control issue. Um, the right arm breaks really easily. Uh, the blade on the side of the right arm uh, also falls off very easily. Uh, the He is a bit trigger happy. Uh, the uh, spring-loaded spear or claw thing tend to fly out at the least of a bit of provocation. So uh, that is a bit of a, dumb, uh, a kind of a problem with this action figure. He, uh, you have to be very careful handling him. Uh, he tend to drop things so things fall apart very easily. But it is McFarlane we are talking about. He's known for that. Um, another issue going on with this figure is design issue. So you might be saying, I thought you liked the design. Well, I do. But strictly from a, a, a movement point of view, the design is really weird. His sword, the one on his back, uh, is sheathed in a way that the hilt poke above his uh, right shoulder. And the uh, holstered gun is on his right ankle. So if you have been following my description of the character so far, you would probably know what the problem is. What's the point of having all these weapons on him if he can't access them? He can't get at them easily. The guy's only got a functional left hand, so what use to him is a gun holstered on his right ankle and a sword uh, hilt poking above his right shoulder. He can't reach them. There's just no way. Uh, so pretty much the only weapons left at his disposal is his uh, weaponized right arm and the big sword housed on his uh, left hip and the staff uh, he holds in his hand. Uh, the, the other two weapons, unfortunately, out of his reach, so close, yet so far away. Like I said, overall, uh, he would blend in 
with almost any kind of uh, uh, display that you need an extra villain or extra demon in it. Uh, you can get this guy relatively cheap on eBay or on Amazon. Uh, so snatch him up if horror action figures is your thing. Before we go, I want to quickly run down the articulation uh, and material of the figure. The weapon, the swords, are made of a slightly softer material, so they tend to warp in the package. Uh, a bit of heat applied with uh, hot water or hair dryer will remedy that really quickly. The cape is soft cloth. Uh, the hood is uh, soft rubber, and the spear uh, claw missile thing is also soft rubber. The rest of the figure uh, is hard plastic, uh, pretty durable looking, although I'm definitely not going to test it out, because like I said, it is McFarlane after all. <laughs> he is articulated at uh, knees, hinged knees, uh, swivel hips, swivel waist, swivel neck, swivel shoulders, left elbow, left wrist, and has a hinged right elbow. So 11 points of articulation, which must have been a breakthrough for McFarlane at the time, because as we all know, in the action figure community, McFarlane hated articulations. Thank you for checking out today's action figure review. Hope you all had as much fun as I did. See you guys later. Hey Bloop, have you heard about this new text-based RPG online? I have. I believe I know which one you're talking about. It's called Cyber Assault, and it's available at cyberassault.org. Is that the one you're talking about, Leap? Yes, it's really, really cool. And I like it a lot because it's a game that's set in the future where nuclear apocalypse is happening. How exciting, a nuclear apocalypse. We've seen a lot of nuclear apocalypses in our time. However, this text-based RPG is the most accurate game of all time. Very cool. Yes, and it has a cool character class that you can actually choose from, including Borg, Stalker, Caller, Crazy, and Mercenary. I really like the Borg. It reminds me of my robotic mother. Very cool. Very, very cool video game. One more time, Bleep. What's the website? www.cyberassault.org. Check it out. It's free, so do it. You do anything for free these days. Goodbye. An overweight man decided it is time to do something about his weight. Picking up the paper, he saw an advertisement of a new fitness center that guarantee if you take one of their packages, you would lose the guaranteed amount of weight every week. So he called up the agency and he said, I want to try your 10 pound plan. Can I really seriously? lose 10 pounds a week? Oh yes, sure, sure, of course sir, 
No problem at all. We will send our personal trainer right over. Half an hour later, the doorbell rang, and he opened the door and found a very attractive young woman standing there, wearing nothing but a pair of runners and a sign around her neck that said, "I'm yours if you can catch me." So off he went, like he was on fire, which he probably was at this point. Round and round the block they went, but he was too out of shape and could never catch her. Every day in the morning she would show off, and they would do this routine over and over again. By the end of the week, he lost ten pound, but he never did manage to catch her. Next week, he phoned off the agency and said, "I want to try your fifty pound plan. This ten pound plan worked great, but I think I can do better." Okay, sir. We will send over our new personal trainer. Half an hour later, the doorbell rang. He opened the door and saw the most beautiful, blonde, blue-eyed, voluptuous woman standing there, wearing nothing but a pair of running shoes and a sign around her neck, which said, "If you can catch me, I'm yours." And off they went around and around the block every day for a week. Again, he failed to catch her, but he did lose fifty pounds. I feel great, he said to himself. Maybe it is time to go for a break. I'm going to try their elite plan. I'm going to try the one hundred pound plan, and that will be it. After this week, I will lose one hundred pounds, and that will be it. I will be as fit as if I was in my twenties. So Monday, he called up the agency and he said. I am going to go for your 100-pound plan. Hit me with it. Um, sir, the secretary sounded a little bit hesitant. Are you sure this plan is very, very hardcore and can be quite detrimental to your health? No problem," said the guy. "I feel great. I've lost 60 pounds in two weeks. I can do this." Okay," said the secretary. "Please wait for your personal trainer." Half an hour later, the doorbell rang, and he opened the door to find a seven-foot-tall, hairy, muscular man standing there, wearing nothing but a pair of running shoes and a sign around his gigantic neck, which says, "If I catch you, you are mine." Okay, detrimental to your health, indeed. Ah, <laughs>、uh, love that joke. Before we end the episode today, I have a couple of things I want to say. First, the shout out. The shout out go to Jeremy Kaldobsky. Go to www. kaldobsky. com. Again, that's www. kaldobsky. com. Kaldobsky.com. Jeremy makes some awesome, awesome audio games. Among which is one of, in my opinion, the best audio game ever made for blind people. It's called Swamp. It's a first-person shooter, a multiplayer online zombie horror game. Really, really awesome. If you have not played it, I highly recommend it. I may even do a review of it in the future. 
Second, I want to quickly apologize for the lateness of this episode,、uh, due to the Valentine's Day and me going out of town to spend time with Liz and coming back and to catch up with work and all that stuff. I didn't get to roll this episode out as soon as I、uh, like to, so sorry about that. Now, if you can forgive me, I still wish to give me some feedback. Send it to Johnny Tiger at Shaw dot ca. That's J O H N N Y T I G E R at S H A W dot ca. If you like to help support the podcast, feed the kitties, and hardworking laboring elves and kittens in the back room, go to my Patreon page. That's www dot p a t R E O N dot com forward slash Johnny Tiger Experience, all one word. That's www dot patreon dot com forward slash Johnny Tiger Experience. You can find me on Johnny Tiger dot com, or on Facebook, Reddit, or YouTube, or just Google Johnny Tai Blind Martial Artist, and there I am. Thank you for being here with me for this episode. I will see you guys again shortly. Dream into a miracle for all to see. 
I can be stronger than I am.